0: Hey, howdy, hey. This is Vic Vime speaking. Welcome back to Mondo Bad Media. Today is Sunday, December the 9th, and I'm recording early because I have to be at work by 9 tomorrow, so I won't have time to do it in the morning. Um, So I'm taking preemptive measures and getting this knocked out today. Uh, So, with no further ado, let's talk about movies. Let's talk about the 90s. Let's talk about music. All three of these things come together in one masterpiece that I actually have a special place for in my heart, and that masterpiece is called Cool as Ice. Now, for some of you who may be listening, you might not be familiar with the phenomenon that was Vanilla Ice at the beginning of the 90s. I myself don't have distinct memories of the Vanilla Ice period, but nevertheless, it was certainly a chapter in human history that took place. And this actually brings me to the first sort of phenomenon I want to touch on involved with this film, and that is something called the Great White Hope. The Great White Hope was a term that was developed in uh, the boxing universe to describe the phenomenon of Larry Holmes, who uh, sort of rose to prominence to essentially take boxing, that is. ...from uh, the black community. At the time that Larry Holmes was making his debut... uh, ...the biggest star in boxing was Muhammad Ali... ...who was a black man. And uh, a similar sort of thing took place with rap. Rap and hip-hop, which originally was associated with... ...the black community, with inner-city youth... ...with uh, an underprivileged part of society. And rap developed as a type of expression that... ...anybody who had a voice, like a physical voice was able to do. The beautiful simplicity of rap allowed a lot of young folks to be able to explore and express themselves in ways that they hadn't been able to before. And that's very empowering for young people. So at, in the 80s, rap was sort of this underground movement that allowed a lot of young people to channel some of the anger and the energies that they had into something productive and creative. Now, when I use the word productive here, I don't want you to think like, oh, As in some type of work. No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is a type of productivity that betters you as a person. It doesn't have to end in a kind of physical result. It just has to do something for you that makes A, you feel good, and B, improve some kind of skill that also makes you feel good about yourself. So under this particular definition, this podcast, which I know has a very small audience and very small reach at the moment, uh, is productive for me because it makes me feel good about myself. I have a finished thing at the end of it that I can look at and say I did. Um, But at the end of the day, it's not productive in a capitalist sense because it's not making me any money. And therein is the rub. There lies the rub, my friends. Rap wasn't making record companies money. It wasn't marketable. There were too many faces that uh white america wouldn't tolerate so in essence what record companies wanted was they wanted a nice little white boy that they could put these rap music words into and have him produce safe and tolerable and marketable rap um, because they recognized the sort of innovation behind it they didn't necessarily want the politics associated with it though You'll find this a lot in the development of music history. Jazz came from the Black community. Rock and roll came from the Black community. Elvis essentially lifted his entire routine from the Black community and gave nothing back. That has been the, the storied history of uh, Black folks creating music and then white folks profiting off of it. That has been the history for, in the last, I don't know, time immemorial, I guess, So this is going to be a little bit of a cynical review because I have a very low opinion of the people who propelled Vanilla Ice to uh, fame, we'll say. Now, I have a lot of empathy for Vanilla Ice himself. I've read quite a bit about him. Um, First off, his birth name is Robert Van Winkle. So the fact that he has adhered to this nickname for so many years makes a lot of sense to me. It's not really the best last name to have. Van Winkle, really? Rip Van Winkle? Like, come on, guys. Uh, You know, you can, like make a last name that doesn't suck right anyway so vanilla ice was a young person who did grow up in the inner city he did grow up fairly impoverished um and one of the ways that he used to express himself was dance and rap and he earned his nickname vanilla because he was the only member of his breakdancing group who was not black and the ice moniker came from a specific breakdance move he had called the ice so, glossing a little bit over the the way that Vanilla Ice came to uh, be known, essentially what happened was he was uh, scoped by SBK Records, who uh, Ice has said in recent times he regretted his deal with, which makes a lot of sense to me. Um, he says that in the 90s, after the failure of Cool as Ice to launch his career in movies, uh, he became very depressed. He... There's a couple of years where he says he just doesn't remember it all because of all the drugs he was doing and that kind of thing. Essentially, this company used him and then left him hung out to dry, um, which is not really fair, especially when you see kind of the spark that's in him in Kula's Ice. There's a real eagerness in Vanilla Ice in this film to perform to a standard that he can't quite seem to meet but goddamn does he try and that's the important thing that's one of the things I really like about this film is that somehow even though I know it's a cynical capitalist cash grab there's some kind of heart to it and I think that heart does come from Vanilla Ice and his supporting cast actually that's not 100% true because there's a couple of other aspects to this film that make it work for me number one is the music Um, it's Vanilla Ice, he's a musician he wrote Ice Ice Baby at the age of 16. Like, he knows how to mix a sample. He may not be the best rapper in the world, but his songs are certainly catchy. You have to give him that much. And the backing tracks to uh, the soundtrack of Cool as Ice, the ones that aren't lyrical, are actually pretty good as well. They're quite catchy and they stick in my head. Um, The other notable part about Cool as Ice actually is the cinematography. The cinematography is essentially the art of moving the camera and capturing things on film. And interestingly enough, the gentleman who did the cinematography for Cool as Ice was known as Janusz Kaminski. Uh, He later on went on to do a very famous film that you might be familiar with. It came out in 1993. It is called Schindler's List. Yes, the gentleman behind Schindler's List, an Oscar-winning picture about the Holocaust, also filmed Cool as Ice, a 1991 cash grab designed to propel a not-very-talented person into a talented position. The other thing that I find really interesting is the costuming and the set design. Uh, the set design is wacky. looks a little bit like somebody ate Pee-Wee's Playhouse and then threw up on 1960s America. It's this. It hits this weird point where it's kind of like... It's a little bit Tim Burton, almost, but not quite. It's just a couple of steps back from that goth edge and is leaning a lot more towards that vaporwave hip-hop type thing. Which is a style I certainly appreciate. And, in fact, this style does translate across into the costuming, which I definitely want to talk about, because everybody who has ever reviewed this movie talks about the costuming. Because, let's face it, Vanilla Ice looks incredible. He has bricks shaved into the back of his head. Most of the time, he's wearing Gautier brand sunglasses. I don't know how he can afford them because it's implied that he's not particularly well off in this movie. But anyway, so Vanilla is running around in these ridiculous outfits that look kind of like if Wiz Khalifa had a love child with a circus clown. And then this fashion is the result of that union. Um, everybody else is pretty, like, tolerably dressed. Actually, the, the, uh, sort of female member of his entourage has a really cool belt that says homegirl on it that I think would be really cool for someone to wear. I think that's a cool piece of, uh, fashion. Anyway, so, and then Vanilla Ice is directly contrasted with his love interest in the film, who is essentially restricted to wearing white. The only time she ever wears any sort of splash of color is in the scene, where their love is supposed to be blossoming, so she's wearing a dress with yellow flowers on it. The visual symbolism in this movie is very heavy-handed. Let's uh, put it gently there. But that's enough about sort of the mechanical details of the film. What about the plot? How does that operate? It operates like you would expect. Vanilla Ice plays a sort of drifter type. His name is Johnny. Yes, the protagonist of this film does share a name with the protagonist of Tommy Wiseau's The Room, Um, and the opening sequence of the movie is literally just a music video, so they could show off Naomi Campbell, um, who does a cameo, and actually sings pretty decently, I guess? Like, she's not bad. I was impressed. Uh, either way, so, there's that sequence, and then there's a brief sequence where, uh, Vanilla Ice and his buddies are driving into a town, and this is the scene that told me I had to watch this movie, Years ago, before I was not really familiar with bad movies, I saw a clip of Cool as Ice that blew my mind because I laughed so hard I cried. It was incredible. I don't want to spoil this moment for you, but let's just say that Vanilla Ice can break physics. He breaks physics and that's how he meets his love interest in this film. The only way that this scene could possibly be funnier would be if Vanilla Ice came into frame while T-posing. It's incredible. I love this movie. I really do. I honestly, unironically enjoy Cool as Ice, which is why I'm so happy to be talking about it today. Anyway, so Vanilla Ice comes into town. Uh, One of his buddies' motorcycles breaks down. They all have these really funky motorcycles with, like, custom decals and stuff on them. Like, I'm jealous. These guys have really cool shit. Uh, And so they end up at this old guy's house. Now, I want to point out here, this old guy is played by a man named Sidney Lassick, who uh, film buffs like me will 100% recognize from the classic film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He plays Cheswick, the I want my cigarettes guy. So he's in this movie, and some of the other supporting cast members such as the love interest's dad and then the eventual villains of the film are also just these faces that you recognize if you watch movies, they're very prolific actors, and you know what, they do a pretty decent job. Considering the script they had to work with, I'm actually pretty impressed with everybody's performance in this film, including Vanilla Ice, he was doing the best he could with absolutely no training whatsoever. And, actually, I do want to point out, because this puts this in direct contrast with Ben and Arthur, which is supposed to be a romance, uh, is that Vanilla Ice and his co-star, Kristen Minter is her name, they actually have on-screen chemistry. It's about as deep as, like, you can tell she thinks he's kind of cute and vice versa, but they still have way more chemistry than Ben and Arthur ever did. Now, like Ben and Arthur, this is also a movie with relationship issues uh initially the female love interest her name is Kathy of course Vanilla Ice calls her cat cat Kathy yeah anyway that's kind of Vanilla Ice's way of speaking in this film sorry it's very fun I like this movie a lot anyway so she's in this movie and uh her boyfriend initially is a dick His name is Nick, so naturally Vanilla Ice calls him Dick to his face because Vanilla Ice is just that much of a bad ass. And uh, Nick is a creep. He attempts to forcibly kiss Kathy, which is not okay. Um, But Vanilla Ice does steal her little black book, and then he breaks into her room and drips some ice cubes into her mouth to wake her up. So neither of these guys is exactly doing great here. Now, the reason... I don't mind the Vanilla Ice character in this movie has entirely to do with the way that the Kathy character responds to him. When he enters into her room and wakes her up with the ice cube thing, because his name is Vanilla Ice, they never call him Vanilla Ice in this movie, and yet they keep using the ice thing. I don't... I just realized that. Oh my god. That's incredible. Wow. Anyway... uh is the fact that the way she reacts to that is she doesn't immediately, like, you know, jump out of bed and is like, oh my god, what are you doing here? And screaming, trying to get him out. She doesn't seem to mind that he's done this. And I think that's part of the reason why I can tolerate this character and yet still bag on the boyfriend character it has entirely to do with the way that the kathy character responds to both of them it's very clear that kathy is unhappy in her relationship with nick and that uh vanilla ice is offering her a way out of it but it just kind of leads her into another relationship and that's kind of like why can't she just not have one wouldn't that be okay too but that's not what this movie is about obviously at the end of the day vanilla ice does get the girl How does he get the girl, though? Now, this is kind of neat, because they had to think of a way to sort of tie in Vanilla Ice's superpowers, I guess. And I don't mean the breaking physics thing. I mean that his superpower is that he he knows how to listen really well to stuff. So this B-plot, essentially, that does eventually become the A-plot, they do uh, eventually dovetail together, is that uh, Kathy's father is... Uh, a former police officer who went into witness protection after uh, ratting out some dirty cops. Okay. This comes into factor because there's a misunderstanding. It's one of those comedy of errors type things where the dad is convinced that Vanilla Ice is associated with these two dudes who are trying to shake him down for 500 grand. So Vanilla Ice has to use his superpowers when the little brother gets kidnapped and the bad guys send them a tape with which has some background noise in the recording. And Vanilla Ice, it's it's really funny because he gets right into, like, the tape deck and is, like, rewinding it and listening and listening. And he's like, yeah, I know exactly where this is! Kind of thing. Because earlier in the film, uh, he and Kathy went and had a romantic day out at a construction site because I really like getting tetanus on my dates. Um. So, and actually there's kind of a... Shadowy, clever kind of shot where they're showing this machine that's pounding the earth and that's what vanilla ice is hearing on the tape so he knows that they've taken this little kid to the same construction site they were at that's vanilla ice's superpower i guess and yeah that's the plot of the movie it's uh about as ridiculous as you can expect but like i said everybody who's acting in it seems to be giving it the best shot that they can including vanilla ice and i keep stressing this because i do genuinely like vanilla ice i think he's a fun guy And it also certainly helps that young Vanilla Ice is extremely cute. Let's face it, he's a cute guy. He's got a nice smile. I can see why somebody would look at him and be like, that is our lead for our film. I get it. But you also have to make sure that the romantic lead can act as well, please. Can we do that sometimes? So, in short, what can we learn from Cool as Ice? Well... We, as I was saying earlier, the inception of this film was misguided from the start. It was definitely an attempt to turn Vanilla Ice into something he wasn't, which is called a triple threat. A triple threat is like Christopher Walken uh, or Amy Adams. These are actors and actresses who are a triple threat because not only can they act, they can also sing and dance. Now, Vanilla Ice has the dancing down. I will say he's a very good breakdancer. His rap is tolerable. But the dude can't act. I'm sorry, Vanilla. You're great, but you're not a great actor. But at the end of the day, I can't say that I necessarily am upset about the fact that Cool as Ice exists as a movie because I enjoy it so much. And that, I think, is something important to touch on in bad movie scholarship, or as I like to call it, trashochism, uh, Is that sometimes you can watch something that is objectively like not working on multiple levels and still enjoy it. And I think I laid out earlier exactly why I there's so much about this movie that appeals to me. And it's going to be different for everyone. Um, another one of my favorite bad movies of all time is the Super Mario Brothers movie. And I know that one gets so much flack. Uh, and I get it. Totally do. It has nothing to do with Super Mario. Um, but at the same time, I love the aesthetic. I love the bizarre type of creativity displayed in it. And it's. I think these two films are comparable because... Ultimately, they do provide some really interesting visual things and uh, some fun music and stuff, and they generally get overlooked because of the circumstances of their creation. And I agree. I think Vanilla Ice's "Cool as Ice" should probably be ignored in the greater pantheon of film scholarship, but for my little niche, my little corner of trashicism. Cool as Ice is a shining star in the sea of shit that is terrible movies. I will go back and watch Cool as Ice many, many times. I can't tolerate Ben and Arthur more than fit 20 minutes at a time, for example. Cool as Ice, almost, because of the way the actors approach it, feels like, come on, let's go for a ride. Take a look at this weird universe we're living in. Whereas something like Ben and Arthur is like kind of being screamed at for an hour and a half. So, yeah, that's essentially all I've got to say about Cool as Ice. Like I said, I legitimately like this movie. I legitimately enjoy it. I will sit down and watch it every once in a while. To me, it's a really good example of what uh, Quentin Tarantino, not the biggest Tarantino fan, but he has said a couple of smart things, um, is uh, it's a Saturday afternoon movie or a Sunday afternoon movie. You put it on not because it's a great film. It's not a Lawrence of Arabia. It's not a Citizen Kane. You put it on because you like the world and for some reason you like the characters too. You want to spend time with them. You want to just hang out. And I think that's what Cool as Ice really works as, is kind of a weird hangout movie. Uh, As cynical as I am about its actual inception and conception and the unfortunate way that Vanilla Ice was sort of manipulated into becoming a public figure... um, there's something about Cool as Ice that speaks to me on some level. So I will recommend it. Give it a watch sometime. And if nothing else, for God's sake, please look up on YouTube the horse scene. That's all I'm going to call it. But look up the horse scene on YouTube and laugh with me. Laugh endlessly. I'm sure Vanilla Ice probably looks at that clip sometimes and is like, yeah, that was pretty stupid. But either way, there's something entertaining about Cool as Ice and... And sometimes that's all I want out of, out of a movie, is to just be entertained on some level. And that's where I'm actually going to wrap it up today. I've been gabbing on about this movie for 20 minutes, although technically I wasn't. Through the magic of editing, the last part of this episode was actually recorded on the 10th of December. But you can't tell where the break is. Anyway, so if you're still interested in listening to me gab, you can follow Mondo Bad Media on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, I also have started a Bandcamp. If you're listening to this on Bandcamp, you can also listen to me on SoundCloud. And I'm going through the process of getting my podcast approved for iTunes. Um, Thank you so much for listening, and have a wonderful day.